into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what are you doing? Get a slap. Plus, exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. I'm a very confident front runner. I've carried for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. I'm, how are we going to count all the shots? Do you, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course, you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. It's the Irish Open. Of course, you want to play at the weekend. Now then, you're very welcome along to Golf Weekly. Lots going on at the moment. U.S. Open week for the women. The men have a team event over in the PGA Tour. European Tour finale, of course, this week as well. We will be talking about that very decent field. And, of course, the passing, very sadly, of the now late but absolutely great Peter Alice. Fionn Davenport, good afternoon. Joe. Peter Laurie, hello to you. Hello, Joe. Listeners, please excuse the quality of Peter's... <laughs> Microphone, if it sounds like he's underwater. We're hoping the Wi-Fi restores itself, but uh, you're with us. And very happy to say that um, he's given up some time to drop in and pay tribute to his old colleague, Andrew Cotter. You're very welcome. Hi, Joe. How are you? Does that, yeah. uh, have I got a rock-solid Wi-Fi here? Uh, you yeah. are. I mean, it's, it's, it's magical. The Wi-Fi is good. The That's voice it. is coming through perfectly. So oh. all good. It's not a great room. I, feel, I apologize for the room. I didn't realize we were going to be in vision again. That's just <laughs> the way of the world now. But you've got the same microphone as me. I can see these are just great microphones. Should we get some free microphones from Rode if we say often enough that they're just amazing <laughs> microphones? Well, I think so. Peter, <laughs> yeah. at the very least, deserves one. Peter does. Peter's broadcasting from, as I say, he's not even 3G. I think he's 2G. Was there such a thing? It's just G. He's just single G on his phone. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Now he's attacking that phone. He's so angry yes. with it. Yeah, I'm trying to fix it, you know. That's oh, the problem. Now we can hear you anyway. Yeah. Oh, God, he's gone. Good part <laughs> he's yeah, I just decided to quit, you know. <laughs> okay. Get rid of the whole audience. No, I the did voice it on Harrington the... before and I disappeared. Oh, no, the voice is solid. The voice is, the voice is there without dropout at all. Do you do Podrick Harrington-esque lessons in your garden? I haven't seen... Or with no a dog chance. No. no, no, no. No dogs, no children, no lessons. Okay. So, Andrew, uh, the way the world these days, I, I was flicking through Twitter and I suddenly saw the news of Peter Alice's passing and I found myself, and I don't, I don't usually have a moment, you know, but I found myself involuntarily in the office in Off the Ball saying, oh, no, mm. out loud. So I can only imagine your reaction. Well, I was on, the, I was on my way to Twickenham. I was going to do rugby at the weekend. And the editor of uh, BBC Golf, Johnny Bramley, phoned me and um, said hello. And he just very quickly said, did you hear about Peter? And as soon as he said that, I thought, oh. And uh, he said, yeah, Peter, Peter went last night. And, and I was... Uh, I was more shocked than I thought, you know, you, you, you should be with someone again. He would have been 90 in February, but it was a couple of reasons I was uh, sort of shocked was that we had commentated on the Masters just last month. Now he was at home and he, he hadn't been, he'd had a cold and, you know, he wasn't sounding as robust as he had in, in recent years. 
but he still, I was told, was fine, and he sounded better towards the end on Sunday. And but again, it's because he is one of those characters, but also one of those voices that you always expect to be there, and it has been such a familiar presence in our life. You know, I don't know what it's like in Ireland. I know you, you watch a lot of BBC coverage over there as well, but I would imagine Peter Alice is pretty well recognised over there in terms of golf as he is over here. And Yes, golf had started to, well, not started to, it had drifted away from the BBC, but he was still the voice of golf. And it was that comforting, warm, humorous voice with brilliant timing, uh, just a wonderful exponent of his art, and, um, but also his presence. And again, you know, when I think about him now, I think about, well, I'll, I'll see him in a couple of months' time, you know, when we do some more golf. Or he, he in the last year or so, he'd, you know, he'd, he phoned up a couple of times just to check and see how, how things are going. And we had a chat about, you know, it's, so I'm glad in a way that, that it ended as it has done because he was commentating just about right up until the end and his passion for golf and broadcasting golf was, was his, his thing. Well, apart from obviously his, his only wife, Jackie and family, but golf was, golf was so much to him and broadcasting was so much to him and golf broadcasting and Peter were almost one and the same. And so it's difficult to imagine one now, you know, without the other. He was just so bloody good at it. Oh yeah. I mean, we have on the BBC done, we do highlights commentary now, which nobody enjoys doing. It's just the way of the world. You know, they, they can't compete with BBC, can't compete with Sky or other channels in terms of going for golf. And uh, golf is a very expensive sport to cover. So we do highlights. And the reason I bring that up is that highlights really um, denied Peter his great skill because his great skill was in six to 10 hours of coverage in telling stories and being this raconteur in having the time to uh, develop things and use that comic timing. And when you do highlights commentary, it's right, okay, we'll have that shot there. Boom, here's Dustin Johnson, three foot, he goes six under par, knocks it in, bang, onto the next shot. And it's just facts and figures highlights commentary. It's difficult to, because you haven't, you might have an hour long program, so how do you condense a whole day's play into an hour? Well, you leave out the cutaways of the dog on the beach or the people hiding under an umbrella or whatever it might be. Those are the colorful things of golf coverage. And those were the things that he was so brilliant at. Mm -hmm. The telling of stories and, you know, reading out an email from, you know, correspondence from viewers, etc. But his observation of things on the screen and when you're just doing shots, you know, he was great at that. And I loved listening to his, his voice doing that. But everybody preferred, and he preferred, we've talked about it a lot in recent years, being able to do proper coverage. You'd have the high shot from the aeroplane or from the drones now. And you'd be able to say, look at that. And there's, there's, a, there's a pub down there. I used to go to whatever. And people think that's old fashioned. But I tell you, it's far more entertaining than just watching sport. Covering a sports event is not just about the sport. It's about everything else around it, in particular in golf. And that's where Peter was just outstanding. Um, Andrew, I'm old enough. I'm older than Joe and Peter. So I'm old enough to remember the kind of the heady days of the late 70s and early 80s and where he would be in studio with Alex Hay and the mm -hmm. two of them would be like listening to the funniest people in the clubhouse just talking about mm. golf. Um, did he... Did he work on the craft? I mean, when you, I mean, and this week we've heard the story about how a BBC executive overheard him telling an anecdote on a plane mm. coming back from Ireland and thought, yeah. oh, he's the perfect guy that we need to do yeah, golf commentary. Yeah. 
But over the years, was he someone who really honed his craft and listened to other broadcasters so that he would improve? Or did he just come with his own innate ability and just deliver on his own personality? Yeah. A combination of those things. He, I don't think he particularly listened to other... He may have listened to other broadcasters and taken things in, but... But what he, he did certainly hone his craft and he, he was far more professional. I think people think that he might have just turned up and started wittering away. And I mean wittering in quite a, you know, an admirable way. It's um, you know, entertaining wittering. But there were always things that he wanted to bring into the conversation or that he'd thought about. He didn't write down phrases to say. They were all in his head. But he certainly knew what he wanted to talk about. And he certainly thought a great deal um, about where the conversation was going to go. And um, he was, he was, he was, he was a natural, but that was combined with a very professional attitude and quite a hard work ethic, actually. And he didn't, he didn't necessarily suffer those who 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 just came in and expected to to talk and for it to happen, um, you know, because he knew that broadcasting in golf was a tremendous privilege. Um, and also that you had to work at it. So he was, um, I think what I learned from him, I mean, you know, he may have learned something. I think he learned from Henry Longhurst, who mm. was the voice of golf on the BBC before him. And he was peerless at the time in terms of his, and you know, we, we listen to voice of Henry Longhurst now and think, oh my goodness, that sounds so archaic. I actually love it still because I don't know, I hanker after um, I hanker after days of old, but uh, just a different pace of broadcasting. And, you know, people uh, now of the younger generation would listen to Peter and say, that sounds a bit old and stuffy uh, to me. Um, but his timing that he, I think, learned from Henry Longhurst, um, the power of a silence, you know, and it's, it's applicable in all sports. I mean, I'll do a, a match at the Aviva Stadium and, you know, from the, from the huge noise of a passage of play, you'll then fall away to a Johnny Sexton kick where there's utter silence. Don't talk at that point. You, you build the drama. And he knew that in golf. And he knew about timing of everything. And when you're a humorist, as he is as well, that timing is even more important because he would deliver a, a line and he knew, you knew the punchline was coming. But he'd just wait for the applicable moment when the, the crowd noise died away or whatever it might be, and he would deliver it to perfection with that voice and with that timing. So anybody who watched Peter Alice would learn from that. And I, and I do, everybody recognize that the newer generation of golf fans, you know, people who watch Sky are watching it for facts and figures. And, you know, they're into the intricacies of golf coverage. Now on the BBC, we would try and offer some of that. I might do that. Ken Brown might do that. But that wasn't Peter's job. Peter's job was to offer that color and that sort of Peter Ustinov style storytelling on golf, which was mm. to the wider golfing audience. You know, you'd have a few million watching the BBC, a few hundred thousand watching in Sky. So you know that the few million are not all going to be hardcore golf fans. They're there to be entertained and to be informed, but not in any sort of exclusive way. And I think you could watch Peter Alice doing golf coverage and you could enjoy it even if you weren't a golf fan because you'd see those cutaways. He was an observer of life, not just mm. golf. And anybody could sort of recognize the things that he said and go, God, that's right. He does have a funny walk. Or look at those people cowering under the tree there as the rain comes tumbling down or whatever. And he was, that's why he was so good. And some people, I don't mean to you know, look down on those people that don't appreciate him as a broadcaster. They're into different things, but you have to, you have to recognize how brilliant he was as a broadcaster because of what he, he brought as a commentator. Yeah. It was, and it was, <clears throat> it was deeply pleasant to just 
luxuriating that for a couple of hours you know it was comforting yeah i saw john cleese had a great tweet over the weekend where he said i could handle the end of the world as long as peter alice was commentating yeah. on it, was, oh, it was, oh this is a bit disappointing isn't it, it? was, it was just, a, you know. yeah well actually that exact <laughs> that exact point the, that line you that you you just said there uh, captured what i was going to say to you which was uh one of the reasons he was going out of fashion unfortunately is that he, he had such a healthy perspective on mm. the game and the achievements at hand and it was roll it down there tap it in and you've just won the well, masters good man as opposed to you know life and death hype machine at every turn yeah well exactly there's that there's definitely that i mean listen peter would have had critics because i think and i think peter wouldn't necessarily and by his own admission he wasn't necessarily all over the modern game he wouldn't necessarily know or, or care about ball speed, uh, you know, and uh, smash factor and uh, the arc of a drive and whatever it might be, spin rates or, and, and all the stats and facts. And, and, that's, and so some people would say, no, I want to know about that stuff. Fine, we'll deliver that stuff. Let Peter do what he is best at. Again, it's just that observation of people. And sometimes he would be a little bit dismissive of the modern players because he was so disconnected from them and say, well, I don't know why it's so... You know, why it's making it so difficult. And, and golf has changed. And so it's a different type of game to the type of game that he was perhaps familiar with. But I would still say that Peter was... You, you need people like Peter for that reason that you're talking about there, Joe, because everything is hyped up in modern sport. It's, this is amazing and everything's fantastic. And actually, just say, look, come on now. Just, you know, it's that <laughs> wonderful sort of downplaying of everything. Yeah. And I think <laughs> there's no harm in a bit of cold water being poured on things every now and again, because we, we in sports coverage now really do hype everything up to the hilt. Mm. Golf commentating is a team sport. Mm. And more often than not, you have two people sitting in the box and then someone on the course... Was he a generous broadcaster to his colleagues insofar as like, did he give them room to be stars in their own right, you know, to, to have their personalities? Uh, yeah, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, dom he wouldn't, do I mean, he would dominate a box in his presence. And certainly, excuse me, if Peter wanted to, to commentate in a moment, that's when we knew that it was his turn to commentate on it. He was the, the main commentator, the main man, a voice of golf. So what he, he, mm. that's obviously the way it's going to play out. And I think we in the BBC box would fit in around him, but that's the way it should be in any commentary box. There has to be that dynamic, a, a recognition of that. So um, yes, he was, he was generous, absolutely. You know, he's not one of the people who would say, no, I'm going to commentate and everything, and you're, you're getting this wrong, whatever. You know, he would, he would occasionally wait, he's got the lip mics, and he'd occasionally sort of wave the microphone at you, say, all right, okay, I'm doing this one here. So I love that. I just, um, I love that. But you knew if the microphone went up above 45 degrees in front of Peter, right, this is his, the big dog is going to commentate now. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's, people say what's, yeah, what have been my favorite moments in broadcasting, commentating of various events? And honestly, commentating alongside, being in the box with Peter Alice, that's when you still have to sort of pinch yourself occasionally yeah. and say, this is just such a thrill. You know, when you're following someone like Bill McLaren, you don't commentate with them because you're, you're following him. You know, he, he's moved on. So, but comment, commentating alongside someone who is or was your, your, your broadcasting idol because of you know i don't have many heroes or idols but because i'd grown up watching bbc golf all the time 
he was the voice of BBC Golf. So to sit alongside him, you know, I still think about it. I still think, you know, that's one of the, some of the happiest times. And then when the microphone goes down and the microphones go off, and then we sit there in the commentary box talking nonsense about whatever, and he's taking you back to tournaments in the 50s and 60s and characters. And, you know, he, he played and, and beat and competed with, you know, the very best in the, in the game of golf. Hmm. And again, sometimes in sport, we have very short memories. And we think, oh, these players of the past, these names. Ken Bowsfield, why is he talking about Ken Bowsfield? They, you know, this uh, tradition in history in golf is very important. And, and he was a living connection with that past. Don't be afraid of the past as if it doesn't matter, as if we're better now. We've got some sort of feeling of superiority that there's evolution and everything is much better now. It's not, it's just different. Mm. And he was a connection, a thread running through decades of golf. And that's why it's sort of an honor to sit alongside him and listen to those stories and hear them brought out in commentary as well. I, I was never once personally offended by a single thing he ever said. And I'm not sure, you know, in reality, how offended people really were yeah. at the things he said. But in those moments, as the world changed dramatically around him, those latter day moments last five, 10 years, and he would, you know, express a, a quip or an opinion. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> you knew it was going to be trouble. You knew it was going to be, <laughs> well, it was going to be heat. How, 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 does, anything, how does that work? Anything he said was never said with any of the intent that some people then blew it up into. Peter was a, lo a lovely man and a kind and generous man as well. And so if he said something in the, in the process of, say, trying to deliver one of those funny lines, again, I would laugh. And again, some people misinterpreted them as well. So I don't know. It's very difficult for me to, you know, it's very difficult for us to, it's not difficult, sorry. It's very it would be easy for us to sit as this generation say, oh, that's, that's so outdated. Yeah. Peter was 89, you know, and I, don't, I, I almost don't even want to, you know, get into the, the criticism of him because to me, it's just, it's somebody who was this great humorist delivering lines in hours and hours and hours of coverage. And one of them gets picked up and it's, yeah. and people say, well, this is, this is, this is beyond the pale and outrageous. And they never were, they never were outrageous at all. And they were never said with that kind of intent either. And if they were misinterpreted or rather if they were interpreted by a generation who has, who have very different sensibilities, then so be it. But um, no, I would defend them, defend them to the hilt. And also, it's funny, we, again, you know, I was about to say, we as the younger generation, I'm not young, you know, I'm approaching 50 myself now, and golf is watched quite often by a different generation, and with different, not different values, but different ways of looking at the world, so, and we seem to write that audience off all too easily as well, now we're looking for the young market and the youth market, well, people who watch golf, a lot of them are over 50, 60, 70, and they're no less valid for that, and Peter spoke to to them a great deal. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I understand the question, but it's just, I understand some people would always say, oh, what a, what a dinosaur. He, I promise you he wasn't a, a, mm. a dinosaur. He was just, um, he was just a very funny man. And w w would he ever go, oh my God, what have I done? Has this all blown up around <laughs> no, me? What if, he wouldn't no. be too bothered. No, he wouldn't be too, he'd be, well, I mean, he'd say stuff and nonsense. And I understand that attitude as well, because, I think sometimes, listen, I understand, I, I see it from both sides of the argument because I'm a sort sure. of, I'm that, I'm, I cross a couple of generations really. So I understand it, but um, no, I, it's, um, 
I don't think anything he said ever was, you know, absolutely outrageous. So um, no, I no, mean, no, it's, it's, it's it's not even a footnote in his legacy, to be honest. It's just no, uh, you know, but you, it's a it's a pertinent point because some and some people will bring it up, and that's what some people. When you see Peter Alice to some people, they will say, "Oh yes, didn't he make a couple of faux pas?" Not not really. No, no. Saving you know ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time over a million hours of broadcasting, mm. he was just bang on it. He um, one of the funniest things I ever heard no commentator could say today and it was he was talking about anyway he he made a joke about kate winslet that i thought was very very funny um i was wanting to know so he became this personality was so defined and he was the great teller of stories he could craft anecdotes really really well sid waddell Mm. who was obviously such a genius in his own right in the latter years you got the feeling and this is with all respect to Sid Waddell, that he kind of leaned in a bit to the persona that he knew he had. Yes. And now I never got that impression that Peter Alice ever kind of doubled down on who he was. He just kind of just, he just, there it was. No, absolutely. Sid Waddell, you know, it's, a, it's a great point. I mean, he was, a, you know, he had a, a first-class degree in English, I think, from was it Oxford or Cambridge. I don't know. He was, uh, he was brilliant. But you're right. He, people recognize him for his wonderful linguistic talent. So he would then play up to that shtick a little bit and exaggerate it, perhaps. Not become a caricature, but certainly, as you say, you're just, you know, um, exaggerate those carefully crafted quips. But Peter was... What you heard on the microphone was what he was like when the microphone went off. That was just him talking. And and I think that's part of the great charm. It was, as you mentioned earlier, you know, when it was as if somebody, you know, you're watching the golf and somebody just comes and sits down next to you yeah. and starts just accompanying those pictures, talking to you just naturally and having a having a chuckle at various things and you're going, yeah, that's, that's, I think the thing about Peter when, and this is what the great broadcasters do. When you're watching, you feel that they are talking to you or with you. They're not, they're not broadcasting. They're not with some stentorian tones pontificating and sounding off to the masses. They were just sort of sitting down and going here, I'll tell you what, do you reckon, see what that guy walks? Mm. Podring Harrington there, what a funny walk he's got. And that was it. So you felt really, you felt just this beautiful accompaniment to Mm. the pictures and to your viewing experience. Yeah. Andrew, also, I'm, I'm, I'm still here in the background, um, <laughs> but one of the things as a player, um, Peter never seemed to spend a lot of time, uh, and as you said there, getting to know no, the players. No, no. But um, no, did he, did he yeah, do he did. that on purpose? He did. He deliberately, we talked about was, it, Peter. We yeah. said, because, uh, you know, Ken and I would be out on the range just... Um, hanging around trying to look important, but yeah. more importantly, going up to Bacardi's and saying, or players and saying, get anything new in the bag or whatever it might be, or just chatting to try and get some sort of idea. But Peter loved to keep that detachment because he didn't want to, he just wanted to observe what he saw on the screen, but also he didn't want to feel too close to the players because he wanted to have that detachment that enables you to be at times critical. And sometimes in sports, you get uh, a lot of ex-players who are still quite close to the players and are quite matey therefore. Um, And I think he didn't, he also didn't want to get too tied down in, all right, you've got the 64 degree wedge in your bag this week or what hybrid are you covering? Um, And so he he actually, yeah, we we did talk about that. He said he could have gone onto the range and and wandered along there, um, but um, or just perhaps gone along a little segue in latter years <laughs> along the range. But it's, but you're right. It's um, and again that would 
some players then, if they ever watch the coverage, you know, and again, this is understandable. They'd be going, what's this guy talking about? He doesn't know the game. But again, it's, that wasn't his thing. He's not talking about strokes gain putting. He's not talking about greens and regulation. He's talking about this looks a bit uh, odd. Or, or It's just, it's, as I say, the great powers of observation and commentary thereof, which kind of transcend golf and the nerdy geekiness and the intricacies of golf that appeal to some people watching, but not everybody by any means. Mm. There was also another thing that I loved about him for all of my life is that sense that whereas, and again, it's not to make a negative comparison with American commentators who, when they talk about the game around golf, talk about, and I was playing with the CEO of Microsoft and what an amazing guy. And whereas Peter Alice's references were always, I got this wonderful letter from Mary Wilson, who's the lady captain at Mottram Hall Golf Club, lovely course. And so he always seemed to relate the experience back to us, the viewers, yeah. who had a greater likelihood of having come across Mary Wilson at Mottram Hall than we yeah. ever would the CEO of Microsoft. Yeah, I know. I know Mary from Mottram Hall. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is she still the lady captain? Yeah, <laughs> still going um, yeah well, exactly. It's, uh, see, for, again, that's for all his... Um, perception of being aloof and out of touch there was uh he had a great ability to connect to i was going to say the the common man not necessarily but certainly lots of people around lots of golf clubs around the country and people who play golf and love golf so um again that goes back to just being able to uh, as if you're talking to to one person and the contrast again the contrast with american television it's fascinating that he used to go across to commentate for abc or whoever was holding the broadcasting rights um for the americans during the open championship um, and then his, his earlier in his career, he would be flown across to, to broadcast in other tournaments in America. Uh, they, they always used to view him as brilliant, but sort of slightly um, uh, eccentric and British and this, this wonderful sort of, I mean, you can imagine how they viewed him in American broadcasting <laughs> because there it is, a, a talking competition and it's huge sports over there, hugely stat-based. So Peter would bring something entirely different. And then Jim Nance, actually, over a few Open Championships, he used to come across... And he'd be on holiday in the UK, but he contacted us at the BBC and said, you know, do you think I might come in and do a bit? And Jim Nance is the doyen of golf mm. broadcasting in America. Well, you know, people like Johnny Miller as well, obviously, but now that he's gone. But um, Jim Nance on CBS, you know, and he would come into the commentary box and Jim Nance would be sitting there probably in a polo neck and a blazer or something like that. And, and he would be in total awe of Peter. And um, Peter would be sitting there just enjoying not keeping Jim Nance in his place, but Peter knew that he was in BBC terms, and over here I am the the I'm the main yeah. main guy. So you, Jim Nance, with your <laughs> your turtleneck and your sports blazer, you can just, just just hang on a minute while I do a bit of commentary here. So yeah, it's a very different style, which I hope is still allowed in the in the I UK, know. and I hope that broadcasting that we still have room to breathe in coverage. And have the silly and the incidental and the light to go with the shade and the dramatic, uh, dramatic stuff in sport. That we have, a, there's still room for a bit of uh, Peter Alice Nishness yeah. in golf. There we are, the great wordsmith, Andrew Culture. Alice Aliceness. There we go. Peter Aliceness yeah. is still uh, available, and not just in golf broadcasting, but in all sports broadcasting. No, I agree. I have my fears. Did you, when you were coming through, have to have a word with yourself and say, "This guy is phenomenal"? 
And also I'm intelligent enough to see why he's phenomenal. These observations, these little witty moments, these bits of humor. I better not try and become Peter yeah. Alice Light here. No, exactly. That is the, the danger. And it was when fo- doing, following Bill McLaren as well, because you could go and do the, the sort of homespun borders phrases for you know, descriptions and metaphors or whatever it might be in, in rugby. And you're just mm. like, is this guy trying to be, always just try and be yourself. So it's be yourself, but learn from watching people like Peter Alice. So yes, in terms of the timing and the delivery and, and not crowding the pictures, which is always a danger, which you certainly do get in American broadcasting. It is. Um, as we've talked about before, in fact, just about um, having those silences and enjoying those, uh, those silences and, uh, that sports broadcasting needs. But mm. um, So yes, never try. And also don't try and compete with them in terms of, because if you do try and deliver a funny line, you'll just go, oh, God. Because yeah. Peter will have done something two minutes before, which was much, much better. There's one, people say, well, what, you know, was he sharp you know, in his later years? And I, I told this, story, I wrote about this, um, I couldn't think of that many. I couldn't think of that many examples of it, but I knew there had been thousands. That's just my memory. But um, I do remember at the Walker Cup in 2015 at Lytham, and I'd found out that Spider Miller, who was the American captain, I'd found out why he was called Spider Miller, Um, and it was because his family, when he uh, was young, had owned a grocer's, and when he was a child, Spider Miller um, had spent all his time climbing the shelves and so they called him spider that name had stuck so here was the american captain of the walker cup called spider miller so on the first day during our coverage i was saying actually peter i found out why he's called spider do you know why they call him spider and he said what you can't get out of the bath and it was delivered with that without any pause at all and um and again that wasn't prepared or whatever he was just he was sharp he was yeah. funny his delivery was perfect and there were moments like that that just lifted every single golf broadcast we did you yeah. know we, we we ken brown and i and whoever it might be or wayne grady or sam thorns or whoever had been in the box over the years we would try and fit in around that and offer a bit more you know statty information or how the course was playing or what it's looked like out there uh, and peter would add the color mm. well look high-pitched ken brown laughter in the background is one of the great <laughs> oh, yeah. and there was so much of that in the evenings as well there's <laughs> <laughs> Like a seal barking away, and that was just Ken, you know, just laughing naturally at something that Peter had said. He, Ken, Ken loved working with Peter. He loved Peter, and um, yeah. you know, I think he'll miss him as much as as anybody. But I think we all will. Well, listen, we've kept you for uh, more than long enough. An absolutely brilliant tribute to pay to Peter Alice, Andrew Cotter. Uh, fantastic stuff. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks, thanks, Joe. thanks, Fiona. thanks, Peter, the thanks. absent Peter Laurie, the thanks, voice Andrew. coming from here. Cheers, Peter. All the best. Bye bye. Bye there you are, Andrew Cotter, paying tribute to uh, Peter Alice. God, speaking of nice voices, though. God damn it, Cotter. God. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. What an unbelievable voice that man has. That Peter, deep. you're back. We can see in vision. Hello. Oh, yeah. Oh, it must yeah, be. Yeah, I, I just it must I be. didn't want to throw it on there just in case, in case I put things off. I was very considerate of you. So, podcast listeners, Peter disappeared at the start of Alice, but he was there, like, disembodied, and now you're back. <laughs> I, I changed he, rooms. Um, I can My see wife, that. I died. We're in the bedroom. Yeah, we're yeah, in one of the daughters' that bedrooms. Deeps. Okay. Oh, you are. Who hasn't made the bed, I see. Yeah, yes. come on, Peter. Yeah. Ah, well. the best start of the day. Yeah, well, um, what a voice. A what deep a voice, Scottish what a voice. baritone. Mm. Do you remember? Do you? Re- I mean, I know, Peter, you do. But, Joe, do you, you remember Alex Hay? No. Yes. So, Alex Hay, who's been dead 
I guess nearly 10 years now, but um, so he was the other, he was the other, he was the Scott. He was the kind of other funny man with Peter Alice and the two boys. It was like, it was almost like, what's the name of the two boys, Waldorf and Stadler, the, mm. you know, the two boys in the Muppet show mm. who would be commenting on golf and together they were absolutely brilliant. And as much as Peter Alice was, unquestionably the voice of golf and the master craftsman when it came to storytelling or relaying a perfectly timed anecdote, Alex Hay was, I'd say almost as good right. in his way. Yeah. Right. He was just, I was just beautiful. I, and the thing was, is that when the BBC had most of the golf for me, it was always watching the open. And I remember with my friend, Brendan, we would make an appointment say on the Friday of the open, you'd be up at like nine o'clock you turn on the TV and there'd be, and we just sit there and watch it all day long. And mm. the two boys would just keep us company. And then there'd be Ken on the course and Wayne Grady. But really, it was mostly about Alex Hay and, and Peter Alice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember Hay. But Jesus, just Alice was so good. I mean, genuinely. Like, so often when we're paying tribute to these broadcasters who were the voices of their sport for decades and decades in various countries, I wouldn't dream of naming names. But no. like a lot of the time, I think, you know, they were grand, you know, they're a bit overrated at times or they were good. But like Alice for me was genuinely exceptional. Like he was about as good as it could get in terms of what he was doing. I, I accept the point that Andrew makes and people would make about the lack of statistics. And maybe, you know, that in latter years in particular, less in touch with the game. You didn't suspect he was watching Xander Shoffley every week. But, you know, in his pomp and even really in, in, in right up to his latter years, Man, he was just so good. It's it's hard to it's hard to imagine we'll in our lifetimes ever have somebody come along again in golfing commentary who's that good. It's also worth pointing out that he was quite the player himself. I think did he have I think he had thirty one wins, played yeah. in eight Ryder Cups. He was the only play I think he's the only he played with his father in a Ryder Cup. Right. Um See I was thinking as Christy Senior's partner. That's you know, the thing. And they were very good friends, him mm. and Christy Sr. Um, in, in 1958, he won the Italian, and I can say this to a former Spanish Open winner, by the way, Peter. He won the Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese Open in three, three successive weeks. That's amazing. Right, that's a good achievement. The Yips got him by his own admission, obviously. But he, he um, even he used to, he had a, I mean, Andrew touched on it, but... Like even when he said nothing that was meant with malice or to offend anybody. And so, and I think part of it, I, I muse, part of it is to do with this incredibly self-effacing nature that he had, that he didn't take himself too seriously. He didn't ultimately enjoy, you pointed it out, like whereas you have a Jim Nance who goes, and this is the greatest moment of his life, that he was like, you know, yeah. It's funny, it just came back to me now. So I was doing a YouTube dive and the Tiger Woods chip on 16, which, you know, oh, gets to the edge and falls in. The American sports cast is, in your life! In your life! Have <laughs> now, you ever? Now, it's a pretty cool piece of commentary and probably for that big moment, because that was such a big moment, hmm. probably beats Alice. But Alice's commentary was, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then at the end, oh yes. Oh yes, but <laughs> um, does, I'm not, does he so, not say thank you? 
He did. When the ball um, just drops in. Oh, did I made yeah. it. Uh, see, that's yeah. well, that's that's pretty cool as well. Now, the in your life thing is is iconic, I guess. But, um, but yeah. I loved I loved that understated perspective on everything. I found that very nice to spend time with. And one of the things he did, so he had vanity plates in his car, and as you said, undone by the yips, but his vanity plates read put three. Mm. And you know, for a guy like you know. Golfers to have your to have all of your talent, all of your hard work, and all of your dreams and hopes undone by an involuntary muscle spasm in your forearms. Like it's a cruel, cruel, cruel thing. Hmm. And yet he still had the ability to, you know, to kind of see it for what it was and to almost not obviously take pleasure in it, but to make fun of it. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought that was a, I, I watched this morning, I rewatched for the umpteenth time because I remember watching it live, but the whole, it's on YouTube, the whole, whatever it was, it's like 15 minutes long, Jean van de Velde on the 18th. And you watch the entire thing and it starts before he hits his drive. It's that brilliant Alice going, what to do, what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and it sets up this incredible... Now, in fairness, Jean van der Velde is really the protagonist of that particular story. But, um, but it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. His golfing brain has deserted him about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and all the things that he says are just unbelievable. We're pro- possibly... Funny, I, break. Sorry, sorry, Peter, sorry. Yeah. I, I spoke to Jean van der Velde oh, a couple of years ago um, at an open. We were having a chat... Um, I was up there probably just to have a look around and um, just that thing when he was in the burn in Carnoustie I asked him mm. I said what the fuck were you doing John you know what I mean <laughs> I, I, hope me, you said, yeah, I hope you asked him like that did you yeah did, did you say that <laughs> absolutely absolutely good for you and he said to me he said to me when he got he there exactly when he got there the ball was playable right but the the longer he took to get down to the ball and stuff like that, the the tide was coming in or there was more water coming in or whatever. And slowly but surely, it became unplayable. Oh. So that's why he took off the suction shoes because he reckoned it was playable initially. Um, but, sure. yeah, Can I ask days. you this? And it's, it's unrelated to Peter Alice or us commemorating his great, great career. Did you ever find out, did Jean van der Velde ever explain to you why his caddy didn't intercede at all? Uh, I never asked him about that. Holy moly. Jeez, imagine Harry Diamond had done that, Peter. <laughs> no, be I, 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 I never got into that one. There uh, was um, um, Mary Halligan, the Irish Times' is Mary Halligan, compiled some Hannigan, of the best. Hannigan, Hannigan. Did I call her Halligan? Oh, oh my God. I'm thinking of Miss Halligan from um, Annie. And also, weirdly, yeah. in all the examples of a name you could have given Andrew Cotter, you gave him Mary Wilson of RTE. You were just shooting out all the <laughs> Irish media types here. Wow. I was just like, really Mary was. Wilson? Mary it's Wilson of Morning funny. Ireland, formerly Drive Time? Yeah. Oh my God. That's, I hadn't even thought of that until you said <laughs> That's it. That's all I was thinking. <laughs> so, but anyway, Mary Hannigan... She compiled some of the best-known uh, comments that uh, Alice made over the years, in, including some of the ones that uh, uh, certainly belong to his generation. But there was one that really struck me was, I still get hurt by the criticism. I might get 100 letters, and 95 of them are very nice. But I remember the five that call me a prick. They're usually badly spelt and scrawled on yellow paper. Hmm. 
I mean, like all broadcasters, none of us excluded. Well, maybe Peter excluded, but, you know, criticisms can get to you, you know, like particularly if you feel that they're not justified or Or worse if they are. Or worse if they are, yeah. Um, But it was interesting to see that Alice did, was sensitive to what people said. Oh, of course. A.A. Gill in the Sunday Times. Peter Alice is by far the worst sportscaster I've ever come across, and that's a crowded field. He just meanders off on some embarrassing private stream of consciousness and sunsets and ooh, girls these days. And that's just sort of the game it is. And the old ways weren't all bad, you know. Interesting. So not everyone was a fan. No. I mean, A.A. Gale was one of the best writers I ever read and someone that, as a travel writer, I would not even try to emulate much as I would like to. But he was also a bit of a dick. So, you know. Was he? Yeah. He wasn't a particularly... He could be very unpleasant. Very difficult man. Right. I listened to his Desert Island Discs not so long ago. Brilliant listen. Well, he, he deals with the illness very well, doesn't he? I don't think he was ill at that stage. Oh, right. It's quite an old he, one. You know, you know the way Desert Island Discs go back forever. Oh, sorry, yeah. Well, he, 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 he dealt with getting ill with enormous nobility. Like yeah. he, he, but, I mean, I, this is going back a ways. Like, you know, when you hear anecdotes about dealing with editors, I think because A.A. Gill was such a brilliant writer and was such a brilliant man hmm. that he, he, he didn't suffer fools easily. And oftentimes thought that his, some of his editors or people he had to work with weren't maybe up to his standard That's and probably true. Probably was true. not afraid to let them know, eh, sometimes, you know, be generous in life. Well, true. Um, Do you remember um, the, the um, series that Alice had was um, Around with Alice? A, a few listeners might yes. remember this one. Do you, I do. Probably, yeah. Have you ever seen any of them, Joe? No. So he used to take a, um, a celebrity and they used to go off and play nine holes. Um, and he'd do a bit of coaching and he'd learn about this person's life and why they were interested in golf and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was fantastic. I remember watching it as a young guy, uh, as, a, as a kid growing mm. up. Um, and the closest to this now is, and he's getting there, is Nick Doherty. Um, and I think if, if he did something similar, I think he would be exceptionally good at it, um, interviewing guests, whatever they may be, um, and playing nine holes. Yeah, he's got a nice way with few, people. And throwing in a few tips along mm. the way. Mm. There's a new season of Tea Time Tips coming, actually, I saw an advert with Nick Dar- Dar- Darty. Yeah. yeah. So that's Peter Ross. We're probably breaking the Alice tradition now by overhyping him and talking about just how wonderful yeah. he was and, and hyping it all up. But geez, I thought I just loved that he was brilliant. So there we are. Uh, what else going on? Uh, confirmation how the Open Championships are going to look for the next couple of years. It will yeah. be obviously Royal St. George's next year. Rory McIlroy will be defending champion in a sense. Royal Liverpool 2023. Royal Troon 2024. And of course, St. Andrews 2022, that's the 150th Open. So they're going back to St. Andrews a year after next. So that's how it all looks. Royal no, St. George Rory McElroy is, uh, what do you mean Rory McIlroy will be defending champion? In Shane. a sense. In Shane a sense. Larry. I said Rory McIlroy will be defending in champion 
in a sense, at Royal Liverpool in 2020. Oh, because he, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew what you were talking about, Joe. I knew, I knew. Oh, uh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit slow there. God, it's like Peter Alice having to work with idiots over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or A.A. <laughs> Gill having to. Stay with me. Stay with me. No, it was, it was, a, it was a, a clumsy way of putting everything. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Royal Liverpool 2023, Royal True in 24, St. Andrews year after next. I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, Royal St. George. Royal, for that. Would you, yeah? Royal St. George's is only, is only grand, isn't it? Um, w- Royal, sorry. Those Royal St. George's. I don't think it's all that. Why? I think there's an, an Because it's on the South Coast. Element of luck with Royal St. George's as well. That's my memory of Darren Clark's here. Oh, yes. Um, Darren, I hope you're not listening. Well, it is interesting, though, about the, the announcement by the RNA was is that um, the return to Turnbury, or Trump Turnbury, to give it its proper name these days, um, definitely will be delayed to at least 2026. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, and Turnbury is, you know, a stable or was a stable of the rotation and obviously desperately keen to get back in. But um, is this a Trump thing? No. More, no, I don't think so. I mean, uh, more of a logistics because Turnbury's so out of the way thing. Well, the problem is, is that Troon isn't it? Troon is near Turnbury, so they can't, you know, they try and move it around geographically so that they're not, so the Ayrshire coast doesn't get two in a row, or okay. you know. So um, you've got to think Port Russia is another great chance, twenty twenty seven, twenty twenty eight territory. Why I'm not? To be mad not to go back. Absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. But, uh, yes, I mean, um, they're talking because one of the things in the announcement is that 2026 could be a potential St. Andrew's year um, or uh, Lytham and St. Anne's because it'll be 100 years, uh, 1926, when Bobby Jones won his one and only Mm. um, Open. Uh, You'd probably see St. Andrew's coming off the rota eventually. Um, Coming off? Yes. Why? Because it's it's not fit for um, the modern game. Mm, they'll destroy it if they get good weather. They'll destroy it. There's too many holes um, very close to being drivable. Fionn. Yeah, too yeah, many yeah. Cl- holes cross over each other. Um, I've played it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I've played St Andrews. It's my one golfing claim I can make. And part the first bogey, the seventeenth, and part the eighteenth. And I don't Peter, remember much in between. Peter, because hey, I've been hearing about this regarding St. Andrews for a long time now. It's that close, is it? That like it could be within a decade? I, 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 yeah, I would definitely think so. God, Unless they do desperate. something with the ball. Yeah. Well, I think they should actually, for St. Andrews, of all places, they should have a St. Andrews ball if needs be. Do you think so? Uh, they'll have to do something, Joe, to, because you, you could name five greens, six greens that are drivable. Um, and you just can't have that in an in an open championship. Mm. And no matter what the wind is like, you know, you, you know what I mean. If you get a semi calm day, you can. Um, it's just a it's a pitch and put golf course. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's something. It's 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 dreadful to say. Yeah. Um, but um, that's what it is. Can they not make? Can they not bring up the rough? Make it like murderous and cut the greens so that they run like a 14 on the stem. You, you, no, see, St. Andrew's greens are, are literally cut out of the fairway. Mm. Um, they've, they've never been, you've never had the ability to get them that speed. 
Right. And if they did, the ball wouldn't stay. So, you know, you'd have cancellation of play straight away. Well, there was right. murder and, back and in 2015 when correct, uh, yeah. Jordan Spieth yeah. was livid because they were put out and the wind was such that the balls were moving on the greens and they had to cancel play. But Spieth yeah. had played a hole or two. So, I mean, they probably push those greens as fast as, as, as fast as they can and have to allow for wind, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think at, at the quickest they've ever been is something like maybe 11 or 12 on the stint meter at, wow. at, at very best. Right. You just can't get the you know what I mean. You can't get that kind of surface up to the modern day surfaces. Some some quiet week. I'm going to get you to talk us through St Andrews in a bit of depth, Jeff Ogilvy style. Yeah. Give us give us a sense of the course because you'd obviously know well. I presume, by the way, actually briefly, I meant to just ask you this. We're not going to go back to Peter Ellis, but I presume he must have commentated on you a fair few times, some event or other, has he? <laughs> to be honest, with you, I don't know. You know, um, you were playing I, at the time. I didn't listen. But I, I did make that point there to Andrew. He he did keep himself well away from the players. Like Andrew had come onto the range, Ken Brown. I, I know both of them. Um, now, not exceptionally well, but I've had many conversations with both. Um, and I don't think I ever had a conversation with Peter Ellis. No. DP World Tour Championship is on this weekend. So that's some good golf, you've got to say. It's the uh, finale. The purse has been lowered to $7.5 million from $10 million. The winner gets $1.5 million, the season-long winner, that is. Uh, the interesting thing here is that four players can win outright if they are in control of their own destiny. So Tommy Fleetwood, as you might imagine, Lee Westwood, as you might imagine, Colin Morikawa, as you might not imagine, and Patrick Reed, maybe mm. to a slightly lesser extent, is uh, a bit surprising. So uh, Morikawa, uh, he qualifies because of all the... I, I, don't, I don't think he has played a European Tour event yet. He hasn't played foot. He hasn't stepped foot on European soil. Okay, so he's bypassing Europe straight to the, straight to the Middle yeah. East. Lee Westwood said, I can see why people might consider this weird if he won the race, but we did waive the rules on a number of events and the number of events of events you have to play for reasons we all understand. I'd rather give him the credit for coming over here and playing. He's seizing his chance to make history owing to his major win and the pandemic. I'm They're looking not like giving him rookie of the year. Uh, he can't get, well, I mean, if he wins the tour because like points are points, fair enough, but he can't win rookie of the year on the European tour. Ah, uh, no, that's what they're can't. looking at. No, yeah. no, 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 that's silly. That's silly. Well, I mean, there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I don't give a damn about this because I'm the uh, consumer. And so if I flick on my TV and Reed's there and Morikawa was there and they're in the mix, fine by me. Uh, I suspect there'll be a certain fraternity, Peter, on the European tour grumbling at this, will there, players-wise, or no? Um, no, I, I, look, I, I'd be the first to, you know, uh, downcast the European tour. Uh, but I looked at it this morning. They've played 23 events since the um, lockdown was lifted. They, they had 15 events that they took up from scratch. Um, literally, they just they, they made 15 events out of nowhere. Um, I suppose they've done exceptionally well. Um, I think they will be very disappointed that a number of top-end players have decided to give Dubai a miss, who would, already, who would ordinarily be you know, exempt to play. Um, not least you know, the defending Rory. champion John Ram. Exactly, yeah. So, like, if you were putting all this money into it, if you were DP World and you're putting all this money into it, yes, you'd be delighted with Patrick Reed coming over and Colin Marikawa, but you'd be pretty disappointed if if Rory wasn't there. Mm. 
Shane Lowry, British Open, char- Open champion, um, John Ram, as you said, Justin Rose. Um, you know, there's plenty of players that are not willing to make the, the, the travel over and it hurts the European Tour. It's also worth pointing out. So we're recording uh, mid-afternoon in, mm. on Thursday and today's play is over. So Victor Perez is on five under. Tommy Fleetwood is tied fifth on three under. And one shot back, tied ninth, is um, Patrick Reed with Marikawa and Evans. Okay. Um, do you see? And then what's his name? I can't pronounce his name properly. Is it Christian Bezuidenhout, the South African guy, who if he wins today, will um, he's going for three wins on the bounce? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because he won the Alfred Dunhill and then the South African Open. So he's on a rich vein of form. Right. Okay. Okay. I should really look at his score, though, to hmm. see where he is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Joe. It's just like, I'm not, oh, he's tied 18th, by the way, one under. Um, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I mean, whatever the, the Morikawa winning rookie of the year, I'm just glad to see, I'd like to see him play. I want to see Patrick Reed play. I'd like Tommy Fleetwood to win because I like mm. Tommy Fleetwood. Well, you know, it's a decent mm. enough field. You can imagine, though, to, to, to Peter's point, you can definitely imagine on the European Tour board with the likes of a McElroy and a Ram, they must be saying, what the hell? Like, come on, lads, we really need you this year. You know, do us a solid. And yet I totally understand the players saying, look, I've had yeah. a very condensed schedule post-lockdown. Uh, I'm tired. I want to be with my family. I don't want to trek across the world. We're in the midst of COVID. It's nearly Christmas. I get both sides, but I can definitely imagine, Peter, the disappointment on European Tour board level. Oh, I'd imagine so. I really would. You know, Keith Pelly would be uh, pulling his hair out now at this stage, mm. um, considering that he's he's done so much, you know. Oh, yeah. Just to oh, mention, yeah, no. Victor uh, Hovland won last week. Um, so he, yes. rolled, he rolled in a, a 12-foot birdie put on the final hole. This was in Mayacoba in uh, Mexico. Now, this is his second win. He won in February at the Puerto Rico Open. So <laughs> he's uh, just off uh, the United States events on the PGA Tour. He's, he's won two of them this year. 23 years of age. It's kind of like of the new breed, it is Hovland, despite his terrible chipping uh, by his own admission. It's Hovland, it's Morikawa, and it's Wolf. Um, so he had an interesting comment afterwards. I don't really feel I'm honestly very good at all these pressure situations. I mean... I was shaking there at the end. I needed to make birdie in 18 and it just happened to go in, but I don't feel comfortable in those moments at all. Thought it takes um, certain confidence to be that honest about it though. Yeah. Certainly does. And he hits like he, he didn't look that nervous either, did he? I didn't get to see much of this at all. There was so much sport on and I was, I was cramming almost like a student for an exam before off the ball. So I, this, this just fell by the wayside with everything going on. So he held yeah, a birdie from 12 feet. Yeah, I saw him play 18, middle of the fairway, knocked it on the green, you know, right-hand side of the flag. Um, and he did a bit of um, a, the guy who missed a short putt in the US, so in, in the Open, um, Dale, not Dale, what's his name? Against Jack Nicholas. He missed the shortest putt ever to win the US Open. Oh, uh, win the US Open. Doug. Doug Saunders. Doug Saunders. So he, he died he did this Doug year, Saunders he? on us. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, he, he got over the putt, um, was ready to go, noticed something on the putter face, wiped it, put the putter straight back down and whacked it in the hole. I thought he was definitely going to miss after doing that, you know, like he's broken his routine. Mm. 
but in she went. Winning's never easy, I would think, bar the elite, elite, the Tiger Woods of the world. I don't know, will Morikawa ever feel that comfortable in that situation? How can you? You, you I presume, felt shaky on a Sunday when you were in contention always. Yes, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I look back in my career and probably beaten in, in four playoffs and, and won one. Um, so, yeah, you could, I could have been a multiple winner on tour, but possibly nerves or something got in the way. Hmm. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, nope. So, US Open, women's US Open is on. Uh, si Young Kim is the favourite, as you might imagine, 8-1. to Inby Park, 11-1. to Danielle Kang is at 12-1 to and so on. I suspect we'll be seeing a good bit of that on Sky over the weekend, which is uh, no bad thing whatsoever. Anything else grabbing people before we well, begin to wrap up? It is worth, just for a second, just on the US Women's Open. So, obviously, mm. because it would never be played at this time of year, so because of daylight constraints the first two rounds are going to be played on two courses so you have half the field playing nice. um jack rabbit and then the uh the other half playing cypress creek and then the final two rounds will be played on cypress creek but it is really kind of a a testament to jesus golf and strange times mm. um yeah and yeah there's some interesting performers did you see that um Lexi Thompson is going to be using Bryson DeChambeau's Sorry, caddy, yeah. Tim Tucker. So Sorry. if Tim. she wins... But you like, Tim, just give me the club. This is a yeah. very different situation here. <laughs> yeah, this, I am not I this guy. <laughs> but it'll be interesting that if Lexi were to win, oh, yeah. she'd be the first caddy on the bag for the men's and women's US yeah. Open champions. Didn't think of that. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. That's not a bad thing to take away. This is an easier week for Tim. A lot less maths going on for Tim this week. Oh, yeah. Watch out, 150 yards, uh, nine iron. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Daniel Kang is back playing. She's, yeah. uh, she, and uh, what's the, um, the young Corda, or Norda, was her, his name Corda? Nelly Corda. Nelly Corda, that's right, yeah, not Kelly Norda. Very elegant uh, player, I like Nelly Corda. Yeah, lovely, uh, but... Stephanie Meadow didn't make the US Open, we should mention. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's um yeah, it's looking it looks like it's a obviously it's a very very good field and you know with all respect to to Dubai, I I don't know, I have to say I'm kind of more looking forward to watching that. Same. Same yeah. same same. Let's talk about that next week. I'll be watching it. Yeah. Uh, just uh, ladies before you, uh, we... Sorry Peter. You can learn more from the ladies. Yeah. The the rhythm, rhythm of their swings is what every one of us amateurs should be looking towards. Peter, um, you yeah. had this uh, point, and I hadn't seen this anywhere. So, the Irish Open yeah. 2021 has competition. This is word on the street. Um, okay, so I, this, I, is, this I, comes I, with a Peter Laurie health warning. Peter Laurie. No, no. And no, actually, can I just is... say, because I was playing with somebody the other day, and yeah. they said to me, What's this like? You know, the lawyers are knocking on the door for Peter Laurie. But sure, he never says anything that's ever got you into trouble. And of course, I have to say, <laughs> you haven't heard what we've taken out, is the problem. So there's, a, there's a bunch of listeners who are like, oh, this Laurie thing. He's never said anything. Well, he's yeah. never said anything because we didn't want to get sued or, you know. <laughs> taking it out. Yeah. So, they can't uh, I, take it out anymore because, well, they used to, this used to be out live, people. So. It used to be live. Uh, they really, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at home. I can't, I, can't, I can't make the edit now. So I'm, I'm trusting you. So no. this, is a, this is a word on the street situation. So word on the streets, two things. One was Hong Kong has been cancelled, which was going to be the first tournament of the year in uh, 2021. Okay. 
Uh, and is the second co- one is a COVID thing or a sponsored thing or a bit of everything. I, I'd say it's probably COVID in relation okay. to Hong Kong. And yeah. the second one is uh, scheduling. There's there's major problems with the the schedule, um, and the Irish Open has fallen victim before and look on a fall victim again to going up against the WGC event. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Oh, but that won't be good. No. Um, Will they move the Irish Open as a result? No, no. It looks like it, it's well. It's no longer a Rolex event uh, mm. for next year. Uh, but that was, I think, everybody knew that. But uh, yeah, going up against the WGC, you know, where where does the likes of Shane, Rory, um, if, if Graham McDowell is still there? Etc. Etc. Where where does their um, where did they play? And again, emphasizing this is word on the street and just what you're hearing. What month is this? When is this next year? Yeah, I, I didn't get that information. Okay, but you just got word that it would be clashing with the WGC. It, it I got it, it. looks like it's going right. to be clashing. That's a disaster. I mean, the lowest rung on the ladder after clashing with majors is clashing with the WGC. You know, you're like you're yeah. you're pretty much guaranteed a fairly average field. No, no stellar names. Harrington would be the big name then, effectively, wouldn't he? Uh, if if he's not eligible to play in the WGC, yeah. Hmm. Dear, oh dear. Okay. Yeah. So we'll uh, take a closer look at that now over the next couple of weeks. I feel like there's a new uh, slot that we could call Laurie's Word on the Street. And <laughs> at the end of each podcast, you, you can give us the, the Word of, uh, on the Street. The texting I have to find out about these things, you know. How many WhatsApp groups did you sneak into for that one? No, 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 no. I only did that once and got caught and then had to realize, well, that wasn't really a good thing to do. So I knocked that one on the head. All righty. Fellas, I think we're uh, pretty much done. He's been very restrained, but I think you should know, listeners, Fionn Davenport's playing the uh, best golf of his life right now, had his best ever round. We just thought we'd drop that in there. He's he's too polite to himself. I mean, don't worry. He's making it very clear off air. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm making sure that I'm texting you. All of it. I told Peter before we started recording. I yeah, said, yeah. Shot by shot. <laughs> I, had to, I was going to say, I had to resist the temptation to give you like a shot by shot relay of my, of my round, which, mm-hmm. by the way, listeners, in Peter Laurie's world, would, uh, if Peter Laurie scored what I scored, he would put the clubs away and never play again. He'd be like, oh, this is rubbish. You have 40, <laughs> I, 47 I, points. We can say that much. Yeah. I've done that. I've put them away. Oh, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I played anyway. No, thank you. Uh, it was great. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying my golf at the moment very, very much. I'm in one of those, I'm in one of those nice phases and I'm sure that you've all had it is, you know, where you, where you're out there and in the middle of the round, you're going, geez, this is so easy. (laughs) Yeah. Rarely, rarely. I know. 47. I don't think I've seen 47. Uh, yeah, it was outrageous. Yeah. Four over gross. Yeah. Four over gross. Good man. Lovely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. All righty, fellas, good stuff. Next week is our last week of the year, I would think. We're two weeks out from Christmas Eve. Yes, I doubt we'll record on Christmas Eve. So we'll do a review of the year. I'm going to dream up some questions and thoughts and uh, I'll send them all on to you and we can review the year that was 2020. We'll have a Caddy of the Year Award, Peter. That's your choice. Yeah. Can only be one, can't it? Can only be one. Oh man, I'll defend him to the hilt. I'll defend him to the hilt. Yeah. So uh, right, we'll talk next week. Fionn, thank you. And Peter, I presume are the golfers right. starting to trickle into Spa well a bit more. Yeah, very slow. Amazingly, oh, I think okay. the cold weather is keeping everybody away. But sure, look, right. 
Uh, we'll take it as it comes. Okay. Down to Spawa for the love of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you next week, fellas. Okay. Thanks, 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 lads. Bye-bye.